Today's reading can be found um, John chapter 4, beginning at verse 4, and it's found on page 1067. Jesus talks with a Samaritan woman. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sinshar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, have you nothing to draw with and the well is deep? Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as he did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and now has come, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know what the Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I am the one speaking to you. I am he. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? So they came out of the town and made their way towards him. Verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, They urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. 
And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Shall we pray? Lord, open our hearts to hear and respond to what you have to say to us this morning. Amen. Must be hard work digging a well. I can't quite imagine what it must have been like for Jacob digging his well all those thousands of years ago. According to Wikipedia, Jacob's well is about 41 metres or 135 feet deep and hewn from solid rock. Imagine setting out to dig that well without any machinery or modern digging equipment. Must have taken a lot of time and hard work. Imagine digging away at the rock in the hot desert sun. There's nothing to drink until you finish the job, and it's thirsty work. How far do you dig before you start to doubt? Surely there must be times when you'd think, this is ridiculous, I must be digging in the wrong place. I'm never going to find water. How did Jacob know that he would find water eventually anyway? The dry, rocky ground couldn't have looked very promising. Perhaps he didn't know. Perhaps he just kept digging in desperation because his life depended on it. Or perhaps he had confidence in his faith that God would provide. Imagine that moment when he finally hit water and was able to quench his thirst from the well that would go on to supply water to Jacob's descendants for centuries. Jacob's well, as it turns out, is an appropriate location for the meeting between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Hundreds of years after Jacob's well was dug, Jesus arrived there tired, hungry and thirsty. But when the unnamed Samaritan woman arrives on the scene, Jesus doesn't spend his time relaxing and refreshing himself. Instead, he does a bit of digging. Will you give me a drink? Jesus asks the woman. Seems like a perfectly innocent question. But to understand why the woman seems surprised by this, we need to understand a bit of the context. First, she's a Samaritan. That's a word that has very different connotations to us. We tend to think of the charity of that name. We think of a good Samaritan as someone who behaves kindly towards strangers. Exactly the kind of person you might ask for a drink if you were thirsty, in fact. Of course, the phrase good Samaritan itself comes from a parable Jesus told about a Samaritan who'd come to the aid of a Jew in desperate need when everyone else had ignored him. But the point about that story was precisely that the idea of a good Samaritan seemed paradoxical to the majority of Jesus' Jewish listeners. Samaritans were, by definition, bad. They were the lowest of the low, unholy and unclean, and to be avoided at all costs. In particular, Jews would have avoided using the same eating and drinking vessels as Samaritans. But here's Jesus asking for a drink, and presumably intending to drink out of the same cup as a Samaritan woman. Second, she is a woman. Many devout Jewish men in Jesus' time would have avoided being alone with a woman, if at all possible. If, unavoidably, they'd found themselves in that situation, they would probably not have spoken to her. That would have been seen as a risk. What would people think? 
What if they were drawn into improper relations? The situation would be even worse if the woman was a Samaritan. Most devout Jewish men would have seen themselves as tainted or sullied by associating with a woman like this. It would probably be best to avoid eye contact or any form of social interaction. But here's Jesus, looking at her with a warm and friendly smile, and with his first words suggesting something as intimate and in the eyes of most religious people unclean as sharing a cup of water. Clearly the woman had recognised Jesus as a Jew. Presumably she had no idea who he was, but I wonder if there was something about him that told her that he was a holy man. Why would a holy Jewish man be asking to share a drink with a woman you would expect him to see as impure and morally suspect? Particularly given the third point, the circumstances of their meeting. John tells us it was about noon, and the woman had come to the well to draw water alone. The well was some way out of the town, and the normal thing would be to come for water either early in the morning or late in the afternoon when it was cooler. The fact that this woman had come in the middle of the day suggests she's trying to avoid bumping into other women from the town. Why? Even without the prophetic insight of Jesus, we might deduce that this is a woman with something to hide, something she's ashamed of. Add all this together and you can see why it's surprising when Jesus asks this woman, will you give me a drink? It's fascinating to read as the conversation unfolds. As is often the case in the Bible, we're told what was said, but given very little indication of how it was said. What was going through this woman's mind as this strange man spoke to her? How did she feel? For Jesus, of course, it's an opportunity to share the good news. The well and the life-giving water it produces are ready-made illustrations for talking about the God who sustains us. But Jesus doesn't simply launch into a sermon. He wants to get to the heart of every person and meet them in their places of need. So he starts digging. The heart of a morally dubious Samaritan woman might not have seemed like the most promising place to start looking for a spring of faith. But Jesus has confidence in his faith that God has led him to this encounter. So he starts with a simple question. Will you give me a drink? Note that the woman doesn't refuse. She answers his question with another question. How can you ask me for a drink? Pointing out the obvious, that Jesus has transgressed social norms by even asking. Perhaps, given what little we know about this woman, this is not the first time that a man who appears holy and devout in public has transgressed the usual rules of proper behaviour when when he was uh, alone with her. But how did she feel about that? Was she wary of his motives? Or was there something thrilling and attractive about receiving attention from a man who should, by normal social standards, simply have ignored her? There's something quite playful in the response Jesus gives. As is often the case, Jesus chooses words with a double meaning. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He's talking at the spiritual level. But given that he's sat by a well and has just asked for a drink, it's natural that the woman would interpret this more literally. The phrase living water might seem to us like a clue that Jesus is talking on a spiritual level. But it's a translation of what could have been a perfectly normal phrase to describe running water. If this man knew where to find a source of clean running water, 
which would mean the woman not having to make her daily midday journey to the standing, stagnant water of the well, it would be worth knowing about. But the woman is sensible enough to be sceptical of this promise. The only running water she knows of is that which feeds the well itself. Where else could he get water from? The woman's reply is the first indication that Jesus' digging is making progress. I wonder if Jesus smiles as she acknowledges Jacob as her ancestor and shows knowledge of the scriptures in relating this well to the events of the book of Genesis. Perhaps, if she has some knowledge of scripture, she'll get the reference to Jeremiah, where the Lord is referred to as the spring of living water. She doesn't. Jesus tells her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. But the woman seems more interested in the possibility that she won't have to keep coming back to the well every day than the promise of eternal life. She takes Jesus literally. But does she really take him seriously? Surely the idea that she will never have to drink again is pretty outlandish. Is she really that credulous? Maybe. But perhaps, given what we're about to find out about her, this woman is used to men offering her the world. Perhaps she simply interprets this as yet another man offering to provide for her. Does she fall for it? Does she see something different in Jesus and genuinely believe that he will live up to his promise? Or does she simply play along because that's the only way she knows? Whatever was going through her mind, the next thing Jesus says certainly changes the tone. Go, call your husband and come back. I imagine the woman flushing bright red at this point. What should she say? She opts for a slight evasion. I have no husband, she tells Jesus. It's true. But it's not the whole story. And Jesus knows it. He's received prophetic knowledge from the Father and his digging has got to the heart of the matter. He confronts her with the truth about her situation. That she's had five husbands and that the man she is now with is not her husband. Note that there's no judgment We don't know if this woman's marriage has failed through any fault of hers or through the fault of others. We don't know what, if any, events in her past may have led to difficulties in her forming healthy relationships. We can guess, as there appears to have been a pattern in her life, that past experiences have led to a cycle which has been difficult to break. And we can reasonably assume, given the society she lived in, that others would have been quick to judge and that she felt great guilt and shame. Jesus has found her place of need. The woman reacts, as many people do when they're emotionally vulnerable, by changing the subject. She does at least acknowledge Jesus as a prophet, which is more than most of the religious leaders and devout Jews managed to do when confronted with the truth by Jesus. But she resorts to the classic evasion tactic of launching into a religious debate. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, she says. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Although the details vary, this is a familiar line of argument to try to justify the things that are wrong in a person's life. Her point is that there are differences of opinion about religion. They can't both be right. But different people hold different views very strongly. How can we be certain which is right? Maybe we can't. In which case, maybe we can't be certain about anything we've been taught. Like about marriage and morality, for example. Jesus isn't about to be fooled by this argument. 
these details are irrelevant to God. He explains to her that it doesn't matter where people worship, what matters is how they worship. What matters is what's in their heart. And so he brings the conversation back to what's in her heart. But the woman tries to change the subject again. Having failed with the tactic of doubt, the woman tries the other classic tactic of delay. I know that Messiah is coming, she says. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. In other words, it's all very complicated. Let's put off worrying about it until this Messiah turns up and makes everything clear. You can almost see the smile spreading across Jesus' face as he breaks through the last layer of rock, reaching this woman's heart as he tells her, that's me, I'm here. We don't see the moment the penny drops as the scene is interrupted by the arrival of the disciples. Perhaps that's another part of the revelation, that Jesus doesn't suddenly pretend to ignore the woman as soon as company arrives, like other men in their hypocrisy might have done. And maybe it's then that she realised He knew. From the moment he saw her, this man knew all about her. He knew about her guilt and shame. But still he smiled at her and asked her, will you give me a drink? He offered her the living water. And now she's overflowing with it. The heart of a morally dubious Samaritan woman might not have seemed like the most promising place to start looking for a spring of faith. But Jesus had confidence in his faith that God had led him to this encounter. And now the woman had become the first evangelist to the Samaritans, declaring to them, before any of the disciples had thought to do it, that she had found the Messiah. This woman, who only moments ago had been too ashamed to be seen in public, had the confidence in faith to give her testimony to everyone she met. And they listened. And they came to know Christ for themselves. Salvation, Jesus told the woman, is from the Jews. But it is for everyone, no matter what they've done. It's what's in their heart that matters. Amen.